right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to part four of this series called Through the Crowd. I want to say hello to all of you who are joining us live online through itownchurch.com, all the correctional facilities all across the state. We love you so very much. And all the people out in the lobby and overflow. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other today. Great to have you here. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with. And as you get that ready, a couple things I want to say. First of all, I want to thank Austin for his testimony. Can we thank him today for bravely sharing his story? Honestly, I know this probably sounds weird. As your pastor, I can't wait for all of you to die. Because you will come face to face with your maker. And when you do, you are going to hear the stories of countless thousands of people that you helped Make it to heaven because of your giving and because of the way you serve, people that you'll never see and people that you will never meet in this life. I'm so thankful for your sacrifices and for the way that you're making a difference, not just in our own community, but in the world at large, to God be the glory. Also, as we are faced with overflow crowd after overflow crowd, I am excited to tell you that we are officially launching our academy campus on Easter Sunday. Praise God for that. Very excited. We purchased that building several months ago and have been feverishly remodeling as fast as we possibly can. And uh, we will have the bathrooms, the lobby, the auditorium, the kids' facilities all renovated, ready to go. It has the exact look, feel, and excellence of Olson Farms, cameras, LED wall, the whole thing. It's amazing. It has the same look and feel, but of course, its own unique identity there at that campus. And I'm excited for those of you that live at the 96 and Hague area. It is a fantastic facility for you to worship together with your family. Services Easter Sunday will be at 10 and 11.30, and then every Sunday moving forward after that. And it may be a wonderful place for you to bring your friends and come to church. And if that's not a good fit for you, then I want you to begin considering and praying through possibly attending on Saturday night. The 4.30 service is Getting pretty full. We have a lot of room at the 6 p.m. service. There's a little bit of room at the 8.30 service. But if you like sitting in the lobby, keep knocking yourself out at 10, 11.30. That's fine with me. But I know that eventually that gets a little bit old. But to God be the glory. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity to continue to reach people. And Easter is right around the corner. It's a good time for you to be prayerfully considering who you can invite. It's a wonderful time of the year to guilt trip all of your lost friends because for some reason they'll say yes at Easter. We are helping you. We've got these invite cards at the exit that you can grab all different colors on the back. There's a place that you can jot down the campus and the service time that you will attend. Give that to them and offer to sit with them as they come to worship Easter weekend. We can't wait uh, to share with them the life of Christ. Now, we are in part four of a series that we actually started in 2020. But in case you have quickly forgotten... At the beginning of 2020, the world lost its mind. And so we were kind of in this series talking about how you're always surrounded by crowds of people, which is a bit ironic, because in that moment, immediately, we were told, don't be around anybody ever. They're all going to kill you. And so we decided that it was probably tone deaf to continue with our series called Through the Crowd. And yet we really felt like the Lord had some things he wanted to speak through this series, and so we revived it for this year. Here's our theme verse, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 36 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I think it's extraordinary the way Jesus walked the earth in his earthly ministry, touching and ministering to thousands of people. But never at any point did he just see a crowd. Never did he see an opportunity for popularity. He never saw an inconvenience. He cut through the masses of people, and looked into the eyes of individuals because he saw their condition. He saw that they were harassed. He saw that they didn't have any hope. They didn't have vision. They didn't have direction, and they desperately needed a leader in their lives. And I want you to know that he's the same God. Today, he looks down from heaven, and he sees your life in the midst of a crowded room on a planet with billions of people. I want you to know he still looks into your heart. He sees your life. In fact, the three foundational principles of this series that I hope you internalize is that Jesus sees me, Jesus knows me, and Jesus cares about me. And I really hope that you 
grasp what that means because so many times the devil is good at convincing us that God doesn't see you, God doesn't care about you, that somehow he's glossed over you. He cares about everybody else, but not you. No, not only does he see you today, but he knows you. He knows your faith, he knows your fears, he knows your anxieties and your worries, he knows all your talents and he knows all your sin and yet in the midst of everything he knows about you, he cares for you. In fact, the Bible says there's nothing that we could ever do in this life that would separate us from his love. He cares so deeply about you that he gave his life just so that you and I could experience the rich and full life that he designed for each and every one of us to live. And so as we take this journey through this series, I hope you know that just as God touched, just as Jesus touched individuals in his earthly ministry, he wants to touch you individually today. And I love studying these stories of Jesus' encounters and the miracles he performed because I think there's a lot that we can glean for our own lives. A few weeks back, we talked about blind Bartimaeus and the fact that he couldn't see and God did a miracle in his life. Jesus healed a lot of blind people. Today, we're gonna talk about another story of a blind man that found his way to Jesus. But I, I hope that the Lord does a miracle in your life, maybe not just in the area of physical blindness, but in the area of spiritual blindness. From time to time in life, we tend to lose our way. We lose vision for different things in life. And I remember very vividly how this happened to me actually in high school. I, uh, about this time of year, my family got really tired of the cold weather, as all of us do, and they decided, we're gonna go to California. We're gonna fly out to LA, just kind of a spontaneous trip. And for some reason, they said, y'all can bring friends. And so I got to bring my best friend in high school who was on the basketball team with me, and we were sophomores that year. And uh, man, basketball was absolutely my world back then. So I carried my basketball on the airplane. We flew out to LA. And as soon as we got to the hotel, I was like, y'all need to take us to the ghetto. I want to find me a basketball court with some dudes that can play. It's time to go work on my game. And I don't know why, but my parents obliged. Like, first of all, that's dumb, right? They just dropped us off at some crazy, we didn't have cell phones back then. And I don't even know how they found the park, honestly, because there wasn't Google or Maps or anything back then to just like, where is a park? You know, like, I don't, I don't think they put basketball courts on atlases back then, right? Like, I don't, how we got there, I don't know. But we drove around, found a basketball court. There's a bunch of people playing. They just dropped us off. They were like, come back to the hotel before dark. <laughs> like, Okay. So me and my buddy started playing ball, having a good time, and it was actually a pretty good competition, and my friend got tired and said, I'm going back to the hotel, and me being me, obsessive, compulsive Dave, I was like, I can't leave. I got to keep playing, man. Until everybody leaves, I got to play. So I played until every single person left, and then when they all left, I was like, I better get up a few hundred jump shots if I want to get better. So I kept playing, kept shooting, didn't know, I didn't have a watch, didn't have any idea what time it was. I saw the sun starting to set, and I thought, well, I should probably go back to the hotel. So I grabbed my basketball, but two things about me you'd probably need to know. Number one, I'm terrible at paying attention. Like, just ask Kate. I listen to almost nothing, pay attention to nearly nothing in life. It's not that I'm disrespectful, it's just I'm, I probably need medicine for ADD, I guess. I don't know, I'm just not paying attention is kind of one of my spiritual gifts. And so... I didn't pay attention when we drove to the basketball court, and then I've never been very great with directions. I get turned around pretty easy, to be honest with you, and I know no man is allowed to admit that in public, but every now and then I'm like, I thought for sure it was a left, but it's definitely not. And so I started back to the hotel, but then realized about halfway I was in a little bit of trouble because I didn't know where to turn. And a few minutes turned into an hour, my walk turned into a jog, which it turned into several hours, turned into a sprint, and I was lost in L.A., completely lost. And now it's like late at night, like dark, dark, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I'm running through the streets, and I'm pouring sweat, adrenaline is pumping. I felt like I could run forever, which y'all know is a miracle, because I don't want to run from here off the stage. I think running was invented by people who want to kill all of us. Running is punishment. Running is like what you do to run from, the, from danger, like a lion, you know? Like, so, but I was just, run, like for days, I could have run a marathon. I was just running and running and not getting tired. I'm sure that I witnessed several murders and a few drug deals. 
And I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm white, so I really stuck out in a lot of the neighborhoods I was in. Like, people were like, what are you doing here? I was scared out of my mind. And I remember that the longer I was lost, the harder I ran. The harder I ran, the more disoriented I became. I felt like every turn was familiar, and yet I'd never seen any of the places that I was going. I couldn't figure out where I was. Now, fortunately, just after midnight, I stumbled upon the hotel. My parents had called the cops. The police were out looking for me. There were several police cars there. My mother was weeping in the, in the, in the hotel when I came back. They thought for sure I'd been abducted. And I wonder how many of you in an area of your life feel something like that today. Could be your marriage or in your relationship with your kids or maybe your career, maybe it's your physical health. Somewhere along the way, you kind of made a wrong turn. You're not real sure where it was. You weren't trying to get off track. It just happened. And then you tried to find your way, but every time you looked around, you felt disoriented and confused, and the harder you try, it feels like the further you get from your goal, and now it, it seems like you'll never have vision for your marriage to be healed. You'll never see your kids serve the Lord. Your body will never experience the healing that you know you desperately need. You'll never turn your finances around. That company will never get off the ground. You'll never take that step into ministry. Feels like you've lost vision. The Bible talks about that in Proverbs chapter 29. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. And honestly, that's the condition that we are in in America today. We don't see what God is doing. We're not honoring his word, so we literally live in a culture where we cannot define what a man or a woman is biologically. Hello. We want you to discern the law, but you can't tell us basic biology? But the Bible says when we attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. The reason why our country is blessed is because we used to honor his word and the principles of the Bible that are supposed to govern our lives. So what we as believers have to do is have to attend to what God speaks into our lives. But here's the problem. Sometimes that's tough. We don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We don't have fresh Revelation. We don't know what to attend to. In fact, my pastor Chris Hodges often says, besides salvation, the greatest gift God could ever give you in this life is clarity. What should I do about my marriage? How should I handle my family? What should I do with our finances? What should I do in the next steps of my career? I believe God wants to give you that clarity, to give you that vision. And when he reveals it by his Holy Spirit, man, it'll change the trajectory of your life and that's what Jesus came to bring you. This is not a pipe dream. The blessing of God. He said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, John 10, 10, to give you life and give it to you full and overflowing. That's God's plan for your life. But we have to have his vision. So we're going to study a guy in Mark chapter 8. He lost his sight. Jesus helped him recover it. We're going to see the journey that Jesus took him on to do that miracle in his life. I think there's some things that we can glean from it. And then we're gonna close with a couple of things that the man had to do that are applicable to us. What, what can we do to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives? We'll read the story first, verse 22. Jesus and his disciples, they came to Bethsaida and some of the people brought this blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village and when he'd spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him and Jesus asked, do you see anything? But he looked up and he said, I see people but they, they look like trees walking around and so once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Now this is significant, the word restored. I'm gonna pause for just a minute because just like the man with the withered hand, that's the same Greek word restored, we touched on this a few weeks ago, the fact that that word restored means that he wasn't always blind. Restored means to put back to its original condition. So there were people that God healed who had been born blind or born lame, but this man was not one of them. He had the ability to see with clarity and then at some point lost vision. And so the Lord restored that vision and again, he saw things clearly and Jesus said to him, I don't 
I want you to go home, but don't go back into the village. Now, let's break all of this down. Starting with verse 23, I want you to see the journey that Jesus wants to take you on. Verse 23, it says, he took the man by the hand and led him outside the village. The journey begins with Jesus taking us, jot it down if you're taking notes, to his place. Jesus wants to take you oftentimes to a different place. Because too many times we get into a set rhythm of life, and even though we know things are unhealthy, even though we know there's stress, we know there's pain, we know there are problems, there's something predictable about it all, and so we'll stay. But in that place, it's impossible for the Holy Spirit to really speak to us. It's like we get into that rhythm of life that makes us incredibly rigid and resistant to what God is trying to do. And so he likes to take us, just like the blind man, by the hand and say, come on, I've got a different place for you. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. I believe God has to get our attention to give us his direction. You see, the Bible's clear that God has never stopped speaking to us. But you hear believers all the time say, I'm having trouble hearing from God. I need a word from the Lord. It's not that God has stopped speaking. It's that we have stopped listening. We have too many competitive voices in this life. There are too many things that are drowning out the voice of the Holy Spirit. So oftentimes, in an answer to our prayer, God will take us on a journey to eliminate those distractions. Kind of like raising toddlers. I don't know if any of you have ever raised toddlers here in the house. Kate and I have been raising toddlers for, God help us, 16 years. 16 years. Thunder turned three just a few days ago. So praise the Lord, one day at a time. We are escaping toddlerhood, <laughs> never to return. It's like Egypt, you know, like, we're going to the promised land, baby. They're going to be able to poop themselves. It's going to be glory, <laughs> glory. We're so close. But like any toddler, they need leadership from their parents, and they get in these conditions that they're just hyper, off the walls, doing things that should not be done. And you have to train them as adults how to act like humans and not animals. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You will behave. There's some discipline. There are boundaries in life. So you got to get their attention so you can speak direction. But most of the time, the environment that they're in that's made them all rowdy is the worst place to try to bring that direction into their life. So if you're a good parent, you'll get down on their level and whisk them to a better place. Why don't we just go back to your bedroom? Why don't we go over here to the kitchen? If you're at a restaurant, why don't we just step outside for a minute? I got some wisdom to share with you. It's not the best place for it. Sometimes God has to do that for us. Take us out of that environment to a better place. And then I had one of my three daughters. I love all three of them. They all are unique in personality, but one was born caffeinated. I don't know what happened to her, but she got like 10 times the energy of every human alive. And so she is just off the walls all the time. And when she was a toddler, you would try to talk to her, and I'd even take her to a special place, and she was just still like all in. And so I would grab her face like this and be like, you look at me, and she would go. I kind of get the sense that that's what's happening in our lives, that God's like, would you just pay attention? And we're like, but Facebook says, and Twitter says, and Fox News said, and I don't know. In Isaiah chapter 64, the Bible says, you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are the work of your hand. The thing that's fascinating to me about American Christianity is that it feels as though we got a lot of pots telling the potter how to do his job. I don't want to be that. I want to be this. I want to look more like that pot. And I don't want to be molded that way. And I don't want to do those things. And yet, the reality is we have to be pliable in the hands of the master. It's the potter that determines the shape of the clay. But too many of us are so rigid in life that we are resistant to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so God goes, well, we'll just get rid of those people out of your life. That's all right. We'll just get you out of that job. We'll just take away those opportunities. We'll just move you away from that business, from that place, or from that circle. Oftentimes, we don't like the answer to that prayer. 
He takes us by the hand and says, why don't we take a walk together? Got some things we gotta silence in your life. Verse 23 goes on to say, when he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? The second thing I want you to know is if you're going to recover vision and receive this miracle, you're gonna have to go through his process. The reason why he takes you to his place is so that you'll be moldable so that he can take you through a process. But can I just tell you that it's not the process that you're praying for. Because you're probably praying that God would rescue your marriage. And you're praying that God would bring your kids home. And you're praying that God would heal your body. And you're praying that God would open up opportunities. And God wants to answer those prayers, but he never does it how we want him to. It's one of the most frustrating things in following God. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I have better ways of doing things that you don't understand. Now think about this. I think sometimes it's important to put yourself in the story. If you don't do this, it's a great exercise when reading the Bible. Put yourself in the position of the blind man. It's a first Wednesday. You're having eye trouble. Maybe you got some stigmatism. You got a little nervous twitch and I get up at first Wednesday, like, if you need prayer, our pastors and leaders are here. Come down to the front. We'll lay hands on you and agree with you. God's going to move in your life. You're like, man, this is my moment. You come down to the front. Pastor, my eye's been twitching. It's just been causing trouble. I don't know what the doctor's going to do about it. They're talking surgery. I just, I'd really like healing in Jesus' name. And the pastor goes, yeah, no problem. I had to be like, LeBron, I'm blind, but I'm not stupid. What was that? (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's about to happen? Jesus took him on a journey and then spit in this dude's face and then asked him if he could see. (laughs) Last I checked for people who have vision, spitting in their eyes is not productive. But there's a principle there you need to see. First of all, God's kingdom is counterintuitive. Y'all know that, right? Jesus said, do you want to be the leader of all? Be a servant. If you want to increase, you got to give everything you have away. If you want to experience true life, it's time for you to die. So when you pray these prayers, God, I want you to move. God, I want you to rescue me. God, I want you to change my marriage and touch my family and renovate my business, help me to go to new levels. And God goes, okay. And then he begins to take you on that journey. You're like, what? Why are you taking me backwards? This doesn't make any sense. I I lost the friends I did have. I was praying for friends and I lost all the ones I had. I was praying for opportunity and then it felt like all the ones that were in front of me got taken away. God, why are you taking me backwards? Because oftentimes that's how he works. It's also messy. Spit in your face is not a clean process. But Jesus is kind of messy. Like he had prostitutes rubbing on him in public. People were like, I'm offended by this. I don't think this is appropriate. He rolled up into church and started kicking stuff over with the money changers, causing chaos. He wasn't socially acceptable. He would have been canceled back in his day. There was something about Jesus that was publicly offensive. You just need to know that's how he's going to work in your life, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't take the journey. You also need to know that how he heals you, how he touches you, how he rescues you, it's unique to every person. This is the only guy that got spit on. But too many times when we pray for miracles, we want someone else's miracle. We pray that God would do it the way he did someone else. And if God did the same thing every time, you know what we'd do? We'd reduce it to a system. We'd stop worshiping God. We already have books, Five Steps to a Miracle. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I don't even know a book that's actually titled that. I'm not trying to blast some individual or author. But every time God does something, we're trying to reduce it to some system that other people can follow. Well, I fasted for 27 and a half days, and I didn't eat grapes. (laughs) I prayed these five prayers with these four words every day. No, God only spoke to Moses out of a bush one time. So if you're talking to bushes, we got to talk after service. (laughs) That's a problem. One time he struck the rock, one time he spoke to the rock. 
Each time he touched and healed, he did something different. There's only a couple things we have in common. Pray in Jesus' name, stand on the authority of God's word, lay hands on the sick. Those are the things that we continue to do, but if Jesus spit on every blind person, we'd be spitting on people right now. We'd be selling holy spit water. Because religion loves to derail us. What we have to get back to is focusing on the master and not the miracle. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus is trying to do inside of you. It's about the faith God's trying to grow in you. So the Bible goes on to say, then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So he takes us to his place so we can go through his process because he's trying to give us his perspective. Now this guy saw with clarity. Some of you have lost vision for your life. I want you to know God's never lost his vision for your life. In Psalm 139, it says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before any one of them came to be. God's not shocked. God's not surprised. And God's not confused. There's never a moment that you make a mistake and cry out to God, I don't know what to do next. And he's like, neither do I. We were on plan F for you, I think. I mean, like, Lord have mercy. How many times are you going to mess this up? I'll get with the angels and we'll get back to you. No, he knows the beginning from the end. He sees your life outside of time and space. He knows the plan he has for you. The key is that we would see it through his lens. Romans chapter 12 says, let God change you into a new person by changing the way you think. Just changing the way you process information. You know why? Because beliefs drive behavior. Jot that down if you're taking notes because that's the most significant thing I think you'll hear today. Everything you do that's dumb in your life is all tied to lies that you embrace about yourself. The devil is an author, the author of all lies. Every time he speaks, he lies. And everything that you do in life that offends God and violates scripture is tied to a false belief that you have embraced about something in this life. Every time you kick the dog, every time you fight with your spouse, every time you push relationships away, every time you overspend, every time you turn to addiction, all of it is tied to the fact that you have embraced some type of lie. Because at your core, you think no one can be trusted. Everyone will eventually betray you. My kids will never respect or love me. They'll never really serve the Lord. God will never really heal my body. I believe he does miracles, but not for me. My marriage is too far gone. My life cannot be saved. God can touch and move in other people's lives, but not me. Too many mistakes, too much addiction, too many problems. It's too much to overcome. You see, we believe these lies. At some point, you got to throw out the trash and embrace the truth of God's word that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You are sons and daughters of the King. You are co-heirs with Christ and heirs of God. He wants you to have all the blessings of His kingdom. Jesus died so that you could have life and life everlasting. You are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. God always causes you to triumph. No weapon formed against you will prosper because greater is he that lives on the inside of you than everything that you face in this world. His angels surround you to protect you, to keep you from even stubbing your foot against the stone. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he will raise up a standard against him. That's the truth of God's word. We gotta change our perspective. This life is not about this life. And it's not about you. Too many times we try and take this journey for selfish motivation. I want to feel good because I want to feel good. I want to have better friends because I want my life to be richer. I want my kids to come home because I'm tired of being embarrassed of the fact that they're out there sleeping around living for the devil. But the truth is God wants to do those miracles in your life, not because he just wants to do something for you, but because he wants to do something through you. There is a world for you to save. There are people for you to touch. Your marriage lasting is a generational blessing. Your children coming home to God are because they have a family to create. They have a generation to impact. They have a gospel to preach. There's a world that's waiting on us recapturing our vision. It's not about us. So what do we have to do? 
first thing, number one, is we got to stay connected to people. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22, the very first verse, it says, some people brought this blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. you got to have some people in your life when you lose your vision, when you lose your way, that are like, I'm not giving up on you. I am dragging you to church. I'm taking you to the foot of the cross. I'm standing in the gap and believing that God is going to move in your life, and I will never give up until you can see you got to have some friends like that. You know, oftentimes when we get to that place of blindness, what we do is we retreat. And it's disorientation that thrives in isolation. The only reason why I was lost in L.A. is because my friend went back before me. Had I just left with him, I never would have gotten lost. God's called us to live in spiritual community. That's why we do circles, and I'm begging you to try one. Not because it helps us in any way for you to go. In fact, it creates more problems. <laughs> Because we need more leaders and more people. And... But man, I'm telling you, it'll save your life. you got to have some people that love you. You say, well, what is a true friend? I can show you. Proverbs 17, 17. A true friend loves you at all times, and brothers are born for adversity. You want to know who your friends are in life? Get yourself in a little bit of trouble and watch who runs from you and who runs to you. <laughs> I'm just telling you, your friends will run to you. It's amazing how Christians turn into politicians when someone makes a mistake and start distancing themselves. Well, I didn't have any knowledge. Well, I don't know. We're not going to hang out with them anymore because they're, you know. Your friends are the ones that are like, man, I'm not, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you water in this. I'm not letting you stay there. I'm not letting you hold on to that addiction. I'm not letting this thing fall apart. You're coming to church. I'm going to pray for you. you got to have some people in your life like that, and you need to be that for somebody else. Number two, got to stay committed to the journey because what we talked about is it's this process that's difficult and it's uncomfortable and a lot of people don't like the commitment. Verse 23, he takes this blind man by the hand, we read it a moment ago, and led him outside the village. But I want you to notice that word led because when God moves in our lives, when the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, it always talks about leadership. The only thing that drives you in this life is sin and lust in the flesh. God never drives you to do anything. He leads you. Because there has to be a willingness on our part to participate. This man could have pulled his hand back and said, bro, don't touch me. I don't hold hands with guys. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're leading me off a cliff. I don't know where you're going. I don't trust you. I don't know what's happening. Jesus said, come on, I'm going to take you on a little journey. He had to be willing to follow. The Bible says in James chapter 4 that there's a responsibility we have. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's not that God has ever left you. The Bible says he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's present, but are you acknowledging him? Are you asking him to help? Because if you don't cry out to God, he will not respond because he only goes where he is invited. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. So you got to stay committed. And a lot of us want Jesus to move and work in our lives. And some of us allow him to take us by the hand. But then what happens next is that we start getting spit on. And we're like, I'm out. I don't like the way you said that. I don't like the way you talked about that. That makes me feel bad. I actually have gotten complaints. That makes me feel bad. Can you tell pastor to stop making me feel bad? Because their itching ears want somebody to tell them that they're great all the time and that everything in life is hunky-dory and rainbows and butterflies and God's here to make all your dreams come true. And as soon as the truth of God's word offends them, they want to leave. Go! I don't care. Every now and then in your spiritual journey, you've got to get spit on. And I don't take any pride in spitting on you, but I love you enough to do it if that's what you need. We got to be submitted to spiritual leadership and allow somebody to talk to us and to, well, I don't want you talking about my finances. What I do with my money is my business. How I treat my wife, what I drink, what I look at on the internet, what I do when I travel, that's all my business. Well, no, the Bible has some things to say about that. And last I checked, God is God and you are not. And we have to live according to the standard of his word, not our opinion, not what culture says, not what you decide, not what theology you make up on your own. 
So Jesus spit on this guy. Sometimes he spits on you just to see where you at. Are you in this? Then he asked him, do you see? And this man's response is fascinating. He says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. I hope that you know the gravity of that response. Again, put yourself in the story. Because this is the only person that we have recorded in Scripture who needed Jesus to pray twice for his healing. I wonder how many of us, having received half a miracle, would cave to the religious pressure of the moment, not wanting to be that guy, and say, I'm cool. You did it. Amazing. Because we see that in culture today. We see it in all, all the time in church today. You show up and your life is a mess. Your family's fighting and your marriage feels like it's crumbling or you're under this financial pressure or you've just been struggling with a dark cloud of depression or you're riddled with anxiety and you get to church and somebody you know says, hey, how you doing? You're like, great, thanks. But on the inside, you know it's not true. I hope you know that we, Kate and I, have always set out to have a place where it's okay that you're not okay. It's okay that you're not okay. It's not okay that you stay there. I'm not saying that, like, live in your sin. No, that's not what I'm saying. And we're also not going to waller in the pain of your past and allow you just to have a victimized mentality. But what I am saying is, you got to be honest with somebody. Say, man, I'm really struggling. I'm hurting right now. I'm confused. I'm, I'm broken. I, I don't know what to do next. And I feel like I've lost my way. I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be free. I'm not sure things will turn around. I'm, I need somebody to agree with me. I need somebody to pray for me. In Jeremiah, they had this problem, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. The spiritual leaders, they dressed the wounds of my people, God says, as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say. But there's no peace. It's what we do sometimes in spiritual leadership. Hey, that's a little messy. I don't want to get wrapped up in all that. It'll be fine. We'll just pray for you one time. Just set you free. It's going to be fine. We don't have to dig down to the root of all these issues and address what you're going through. And I certainly don't want to be involved in holding you accountable and being involved in calling you. It takes take so much energy to come over and pick you up and make sure you're at church. We'll just act like it's all fine. That pharisaical attitude, whitewashed tombs, looking great on the outside, dying on the inside. That's not the heart of this church. Man, if you're struggling, you got to find a place, find a person, find a pastor where you can say, I'm not okay. And I want you to know that's okay because it's the key to healing. He said, look, Jesus, I appreciate you praying for me, but I give you a C plus. I went from not seeing anything to seeing people looking like trees. I feel like you can do better. And yet, even in saying that, he's risking being spit on again because the last time he couldn't see, he got spit on. So he's probably like, they look like trees. <laughs> but thankfully, in verse 25, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened. See, the key to restoration of his eyesight and the clarity of vision all came because of honesty. Because he just said, I'm not okay. Number three, as we close we got to steer clear of the pitfalls. The devil's clear. The Bible is clear in this subject that when the seed of the word is planted in the soil of our hearts, that the devil, the world, the cares of this life, we have lots of attacks to steal it from us, and that'll happen for you as well. Today, your faith will be stirred, and you'll have belief, you'll have vision for your marriage, for your finances, for your health, for your children, for a relationship, for a new ministry, for a business you want to start. You'll leave here ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. And the moment you step foot outside these doors, the devil will get in your ear and say, that wasn't real. That's not really going to happen. Don't believe that's going to happen for you. There's no way. What Jesus says to him is, I want you to go home, but don't go back to the village. 
He's giving us this vital message. Don't go back to the place where you lost your sight. Don't go back to the old relationships. Don't go back to that old group of people. Don't go back to that old mindset. Don't get back to your old habits and your old ways, your old rhythm. You gotta steer clear of all that. Don't go back to the village. Why? Because there's no future in your past. And if you just go back to the life that you've always lived, you'll have what you've always had. You'll lose your vision. You'll lose your miracle. And it's so important that you hang on to it because remember, it's not about you. It's about the world that desperately needs to know the Jesus who wants to touch you. In the early 1900s, there was a young man born to a very poor couple in South Louisiana. His mother loved the Lord with all of her heart and was a prayer warrior, but his dad didn't believe in God. This young man ran from God his whole childhood. Mom dragged him to church, but man, he didn't want anything to do with it. Finally caught up to him. When he was 16 years old, he contracted a disease that was a death sentence in that day. He was bedridden for months, coughing up blood. He'd wake up in the morning with spit and blood mixture all over his pillow that he had thrown up all night long. As he approached his 17th birthday for weeks, he was unable to eat. He'd lost so much weight, he was only a frail shadow of the young man he used to be at 93 pounds. The doctor stood next to his bed on his 17th birthday and said to his mom, gather everybody you know, have them say goodbye. Gave him two hours to live, left the home and went and prepared the death certificate. His mom wept with the news and called her prayer group together and they stood at the foot of his bed and cried out to God for a miracle. As they prayed, he was awake, but he slipped into a conscious vision and on one side of the bed he saw a casket. On the other side of the bed he saw a Bible. And he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit very clearly say, you can preach or you can die. He wrestled with that decision because he really didn't like anything about organized religion or church. But then finally surrendered and said, God, if you'll let me live, I'll preach for the rest of my life. I'll not just serve you, I'll preach the gospel. He woke up the next morning and his mom was sitting next to his bed and she said, what can I get you? He said, I want some breakfast. She said, I'll get you some grape juice. He said, I'm sick of grape juice. That's all I've had for weeks. I want a real breakfast, like ham and eggs. She said, if you eat that, you'll die. You haven't had anything to eat for weeks. He said, well, the doctor says I'm gonna die anyway, so at least I'll die happy. That's the Cajun way, right? Die with a smile on my face. His mom said, okay, fine. She went to the kitchen, prepared a big, huge breakfast with ham and eggs and biscuits and gravy. He ate the whole plate. Two weeks later, miraculously, he was completely healed, totally restored, all of his strength recovered. Medical miracle. And that morning, two weeks to the day, he woke up and the Lord said, you made a deal. You said that if I healed you, you'd preach. And you keeping that healing is based on that condition. So he went downstairs to the kitchen he told his parents, I'm called to preach. And his dad says, you can't live here and do that because preachers are beggars and losers. And I'm not having one live under my roof. If you live here, you're going to make an honest day's wage. And at that moment, he knew that in order to keep the healing that God had given him, that he couldn't stay in the village. So when his dad left for work, he went upstairs at 17 years old, packed everything he had in this life into a little paper suitcase, said goodbye to his mom, jumped in a car with his friend, and never went home. You see, I'm thankful that that 17-year-old made that decision because that was my grandfather, Lester Sumrall.
And his life and ministry literally saved millions of people around the world. And had he not made that decision that day, I wouldn't even be alive. You see, God wants to restore vision in your life. But it is not about you. There is a world that Jesus has died for. And yes, he wants to save your marriage. And yes, he wants to rescue your kids. And yes, he wants to touch your finances. He wants to heal your body. But not so that you and I can be comfortable. Not so that we can feel better about ourselves. Not so that we can not have public embarrassment or a little less stress. No, God wants to move in your life because he wants to move through your life. There is a world outside these walls that is lost and they are hurting and they are headed to a crisis eternity. And if we don't wake up and let God speak some vision into our lives, we're gonna lose the next generation. We're gonna lose our nation. It's time for us to have some boldness and some faith to say, God, I want you to work in me because I want you to work through me. I wanna make a difference for generations to come. I wanna be a world changer. God, I wanna be a history maker. So I lay my life at the foot of the cross. Use me, do whatever you want through me. God, I'm asking you that you would use my voice to be a light to a world who so desperately needs it. You gotta stop listening to the voice of the media. You gotta stop caring what religion tells you. You gotta stop listening to what people post on Facebook. You gotta stop caring about what mainstream America says. If this country is to be saved and if we are to be the church God's called us to be, we have got to get away from the village. Let God take you on a journey today. It's not an easy one because it's unpredictable. It's messy. It's unique. What God's doing in your life has nothing to do with what he's doing in somebody else's life. But man, it's worth it. Because God wants to touch you so you can touch the world. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to pray that God would help restore vision to your life. But first, I want you to know that it begins with our surrender to him. Jesus grabbed the man by the hand and took him on a journey. You know, sometimes when we experience blindness in life, we get disoriented and lose our way. We misassign blame. We feel like somehow God's responsible. We tell ourselves things like, if God was all loving, if God was gracious, if God was real, I wouldn't have walked through this. We forget the fact that the devil is real. We live in a fallen world. I want you to know today that God didn't cause whatever heartache or problems or pain that you have walked through in this life, but he can rescue you from it. In fact, he's the only one who can. I believe he's reaching out to you today to grab you by the hand, to take you on the journey of a lifetime. The question I have for you is, will you go? Will you surrender? Will you open your heart to him today? The Bible promises that when we do, he makes everything in our lives brand new. I believe he wants to do that for you but it starts with our surrender. Maybe that's you, wherever you're at today, here in the room, out in the lobby, watching online. If you're in a place where you say, you know what, Dave, Jesus is not my Lord. It's time for me to surrender. I need a, a fresh start today. Let's pray together. I'm not gonna make you stand, come to the front. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just wanna connect you with Jesus in a simple prayer right where you're at, but if that's you, would you do me a favor just to let me know you want to be counted in just by slipping your hand up high all across the room, wherever you're at today. Come on right now. Just put your hand up high. Say, that's me. I'm ready for the fresh start. I need it. Yeah. Good job. Good job. So proud of every one of you. It's amazing. You can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer that you can repeat quietly in your heart because God will hear you. It's between you and Him. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Forgive me today for all of my sin. I repent. Today I make you my Lord. Heal me. Change me. Fill me with your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. God, I thank you for every person here. Thank you that you do have a good plan for every single one of us. God, today we celebrate that you see us, that you know us, and that you care about us. Help us to surrender and submit to the journey that you have for us. God, we thank you that you're working in our lives to help us see with clarity what you're leading us to do. God, I thank you for the courage, for the faith, the boldness to follow you and to never turn back. Help us to never go back to the village as we maintain our miracle because we know it's not about us. It's about touching the lives of the people around us. Help us, God, even this week to be a light to people who desperately need it. God, we're so thankful for how good you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.